0: Good morning. All right, there I am. Uh, Great to be with you, RCC. Uh, It's always encouraging when uh, you get called back from a church when you're preaching. (laughs) So so great to be with you. Thanks for having me back. Um, Let's pray together real quick, and then uh, we could jump into Mark 5. Our Lord, we thank you for the invitation. You said, "Come boldly to the throne of grace." Thank you that it is a throne of grace and not of judgment. Thank you, Jesus, that you did go to the throne of judgment. So today, we just have the throne of grace. And would that grace flow downhill, as it always does, uh, right into our hearts, and do what only you can do, dazzle and amaze and astound, and cause us to wonder again at the gospel of grace. Would you do that, Lord? I cannot. None of us can. And so we just come broken, and we come empty-handed. Thank you that your word says, "Open your mouth wide, and you will fill it." And so would you do that and fill us again uh, with the glorious gospel of grace. And to that end, we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, since the pandemic, which I ignorantly thought that it was going to last. A couple of months? Who thought it was just going to last a couple of months, right? Yeah, I I thought that. Um, And unfortunately, I don't even know. Are we done or not? Or if we'll ever be done. But uh, I felt a lot like um, Captain America at the end of the Avengers Endgame. Um, Okay, I'll try not to spoil it, but I'm known as the spoiler, so probably going to spoil it. But if if you've seen it, right? The enemy, Thanos, seems to be winning, and he's a, he has supposedly destroyed like half of the world and captain america here in this in this scene he he can barely stand he's beaten up he's silhouetted in light as you could see there with his shattered shield and he stands alone against the arrayed hordes of thanos and the rising darkness it all just seems hopeless and desperate and then just then the voice of Falcon comes over Captain America's earpiece. Hope comes from above as Falcon flies by, and then all these portals start opening, and then you start to realize it's not over yet. And if you have a chance, I don't know if it's still up, but uh, they took a video of the first time they showed that scene to an audience. It's, on, it's probably on social media somewhere. And you should, don't look it up now, but look it up at some time. You should see the audience's reaction right at that moment. It's from despair to incredible joy, incredible joy, because it just seems so hopeless, and in the midst of that, hope comes flying in. Now, maybe you could relate to that feeling, and maybe you're like, when is Falcon going to come in (laughs) right now? Because maybe you feel like this. Uh, An aloneness in the world that's full of trouble. Uh, Paul says it like, fighting's without, outside, and then fears within, 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, No matter, I just want to encourage you this morning, no matter how we walked in this morning to church, uh, maybe you feel beaten up, maybe you feel like your shield is shattered, maybe your heart feels cracked maybe you're hurting maybe your heart's just broken maybe it's just anxiety uh, about your future your school your children your friends your parents your health and you're wondering when am i gonna when am i gonna hear that voice in my ear lord that things are going to be different things are going to change when is hope going to fly in now thanks be to god in our passage this morning mark is going to declare that hope has already arrived. A savior, a sovereign king, has not left us in this mess. Uh, Mark 5 is going to show us that what happens when the redeemer and the restorer arrives on the shores of our lives in the most even the most hopeless of situations, uh, ultimately that's what we need. Uh, we don't need smaller problems. We need a bigger Jesus. We need to see a bigger Jesus. And so uh, here's the idea that I want to share with you today. This is the point of the whole thing, which is that even in our darkest of times, our God shows up with redeeming grace in his heart and restoring power in his hands. Thanks, thanks be to God for that truth. Even in our darkest times, God shows up with redeeming grace in his heart and restoring power in his hands. Hands So, one of the themes of Mark is to reveal to us the identity of of this rabbi that shows up, so sorry to tell you okay right, we 're not going to be talking a lot about demons if you 're like, yes, I wanted to learn about demons today right? or pigs right there 's a whole section on the whole pigs in it because the, the point of the book, the book of Mark is this question: who are you is the question that kind of runs through the book of Mark, Mark one twenty four, four forty one, and it climaxes to Peter in Mark 8, who says, you are the Christ. And so slowly, as we get to Mark 5, the veil is being taken off here as Jesus' identity is being revealed. And we start to see, as you read through Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, this is not just a rabbi, he's a king. Not just a king, he's a king with authority. And uh, if you look, if you take a left to Mark 4, you'll see that he has authority over the natural realm. He's the Lord of the storm. They were just in a storm. Now today, not only does he have authority over the natural realm, he has authority over the supernatural realm. He is the Lord and deliverer of captives. He's the redeemer of broken people. That's our hope this morning. So whether there's chaos on the outside, the storm, or whether there's chaos on the inside, this demoniac, Jesus is Lord over so, let's uh, three thoughts real quick, and then uh, we'll get to the table afterward. So, uh, first of all, let's start with this: this the dark. We got to do the bad news, the dark and disintegrating power of the evil one. All right, the dark and disintegrating power of the evil one. Verses one through five. Pastor John read us, uh, read to us the passage here. So, let's look at what happens. The disciples and Jesus just get out of one storm, right? And no sooner do they feel the sensation of sand under their feet that they encounter another violent storm. Now this is a storm of a different kind. Now this, this section here in Mark 5, is the longest, most graphic, and most disturbing of all exorcisms in the Gospels. So as they disembark from the, the boat... And notice it says, onto the country of the Gerasenes. That just means Gentile territory. All right? So just try to picture this in your mind. As they get out of the boat, onto the country, uh, this Gentile territory, here comes this blood-stained, scarred, naked, demonized maniac running towards them. And I just, in my sanctified imagination... I just imagine Peter, like, as he walks on, and he sees this guy running towards them, that he is walking backwards, and he's like, I think I'll take the storm again. Can you do that? Let's just do another. Because this, uh, one author says, this is the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness in the Bible. Now, let's take a break, commercial break, real quick. And this is not about demons, but I do need to say this real quick. When you think about demonology, or we call it angelology, in uh, um, seminary, just, I just want to say, be careful of the extremes. Okay, again, this is not a whole thing on this. On the one hand, there is a devil and there are demons, and some of us forget that, and we're going to see the devil's hatred of you and me, and desire for our destruction. I don't think a believer can be possessed, but I think a believer can even be strongly influenced. Now, at the same time, right, extremes, there is no devil. (laughs) You can go the other side, and then every single thing is not the devil. He's not behind every bush and every backache. Right? You stub your toe, and you're like, not today, Satan. Right? No. Right? The power is in the balance. All right? So, not every mental illness is demonic. And not every demon possession is mental illness. Maybe it's both. I don't know. It's complicated. Right? Just avo- We must avoid reductionism. And just say either or. We have to avoid that. That's all I want to say. Okay. The first Adam failed the devil and its schemes. And Satan, as a result, has brought darkness and disintegration. When I say disintegration, I mean breakdown, crumbling, collapsing, any of those words. And so, what, what does he disintegrate? Well, a couple of things here from the text. A disintegration of identity and community. He's after that. What is the enemy after? He wants to destroy our sense of identity. He wants to destroy a sense of community. Right? Notice he has an unclean spirit. Not only does he have a multitude of demons in him, he lives in the tombs. It's, it's carpeted with filth and vermin. That makes him, according to this this culture, doubly unclean, according to the Jews. This guy doesn't just touch dead bodies, he lives there. Thirdly, he's unclean, because now he's living in Gentile territory. Fourthly, now what is that, Now quadruply unclean? He's more unclean because he's living near pigs, which according to to the Old Testament, Leviticus 11, they're unclean animals. And notice three times, all right, you could circle this if you want. Three times Mark says tombs, tombs, tombs. And notice the proliferation of negatives. Did you notice that? No one, right, verse three. He lived among the tombs. No one, not even, not one. Now, those are very, very, that's, he's very, very intentional here to tell you this is a hopeless case quadruply unclean. And if these pig herders were supplying pork to the hated Romans, that's more uncleanness. All right, so you get the idea. Okay? Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations all in unclean Gentile territory. And of course, he's got no community. Who's his community besides demons? That means at some point, His family could not keep him at home, right? There are no hospitals. There are no asylums for for people like this. And then we find out his name, Legion. Now, there are about 6,000 troops in a Roman legion. It's known for strength and power. Did you say 6,000? Yeah, 6,000. Now, I don't think this guy had 6,000 demons. I think the point is, there's a lot of demons demonizing him. I mean, one is enough, right? The family and townspeople—they probably tried to control him and shackle him. Notice, no one can bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would wrench the chains apart. He broke the shackles into pieces. No one, again, no one had the strength. To subdue them. So with Herculean strength, he would break every chain you try to put on him. He's violent. He's uncontrollable. And people treat him and see him. This word "subdue" is often used for animals. And then he's acting like an animal. So they live in fear and they've given up on him. So they drive him off to wander restlessly in this wild hill country and to dwell in these caves. So his only companions are demons and dead men's bones. He's an outcast. He's condemned to live out the days of his life alone with the decaying bones of the dead and no one who loves him and no one to love. Now, how did he get here? This is somebody's kid, right? Somebody's brother, perhaps? Somebody's husband? Dad? I don't know, somehow, somewhere, in some time past, the forces of darkness sought him out like a pride of lions seeking prey to rip apart the image of God in him. So there's a disintegration of community, he's alone, identity. And then there's one more thing that the text gives us. There's a disintegration of our body, of the body. Satan's after to destroy identity, community, And then your body. Notice at intervals during the night and during the day. You could see him among the tombs. And he will be wildly shrieking and cutting himself. Verse 5. He was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Uh, Cutting himself in the imperfect tense means this is repeated. Repeatedly. The man lacerated his body with stones, with these sharp flints. So his whole body is covered with scars. All right, the point is the powers of darkness, loved ones. It puts us in bondage by disintegrating our lives. See, holiness, all that means is God wants us whole, integrated. That's all it is. But due to our sin, we're falling apart God wants us to have relationships and community, but the enemy works to isolate and disintegrate relationships and break them apart. So he's out to destroy your life. He's out to destroy your marriage. He's out to destroy your kids. He's out to destroy the church. He's he's out to pull it all apart. And also, he also wants to destroy the image of God in you by hurting your body. He hates your soul, and he also hates your body. They are all interconnected. So he loves when we overly obsess over our body. Constant weight checking, obsessing over clothes and looks, comparing yourself with others on social media, overeating disguised as comfort. He thrives on disintegration, tearing apart what God wants to put together. That's bondage. Uh, there's a story from a man named Rick Bragg. He, when, he says when he was little, he would watch, he saw a bird flying towards its own reflection in the side mirror of a truck. The bird would hurl its body again and again at this image, that, this unyielding image that it would see until it pecked a crack in the glass. And the whole mirror would be smeared with blood He says, it was like the bird hated what it saw there and discovered too late that all it was seeing was itself. Now some of us this morning we we beat ourselves up and you, you don't realize when you hate yourself like that you're destroying the image of God that's because we don't like what we see. And that's the enemy loves that. He loves to disintegrate our whole lives, community, identity, and body, and then this broken image that has brought as a result. And that's where this man is. We can relate in some level uh, to some of this that uh, has happened to us even. So there's a disintegration that happens of the power of the evil one, but thank the Lord. Here's the second thought. Thank the Lord for this, the redeeming and restoring power of our sovereign king. Verse 6 to 13. So, here's this, out, here's this hopeless outcast, unclean in four or five, six, I don't know, different ways, isolated, unwanted, nobody able to help him, nobody wanting to help him anymore, being increasingly destroyed by Satan, left to die with the dead, when on that day, I could preach the whole sermon just on that <laughs> verse six, and when he saw Jesus from afar, on that day he sees out in the water a lone boat appearing and making it to shore, and from the boat emerges the Lord. Bill Lane in his commentary says this is not about the demoniac. This is about Christ, his sovereign authority and the quality of the salvation that he brings. Uh, Late author Brennan Manning, um, Brennan Manning, he struggled with alcoholism and he would literally end up in the gutter. Uh, One time he says he saw a mom holding her little boy's hand and the mom and the little boy, they walked towards him and then the little boy approached Brennan and said, Mommy, look at him, as he's sitting in the gutter. Right? And, the, and the woman pulled her son away. and said, Don't look at that filth. All that is is pure filth. And she kicked Brennan and broke two of his ribs. He says, During my gutter time, he says, a friend flew in. Every two weeks, flew in, out of town. He would fly in every two weeks just to sit with him in the gutter and take him to breakfast. He says, he didn't try to change me. He just loved me. Now maybe today you feel a little bit like this demoniac. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Man, all the efforts to walk in purity are futile and I am unclean and unworthy. Maybe hopelessness has set in as you constantly live in the tombs of your addiction. Maybe it is self-hate. Maybe you are hurting yourself physically or emotionally. Maybe you live in isolation. You're just tormented by your failures, or loneliness. Maybe hopelessness has set in. When you think about this never-ending pandemic. Or your marriage or your career or your singleness or your future or your anxiety of life. Or your kids' future or your parents' well-being. Some of us, man, I feel like this sometimes. Why am I always so extra? Like, I'm just, why am I always so so much! Too much! At the same time, not only do I feel like too much, and you look in the mirror and you're like, "Not enough. Not pretty enough. Not smart enough. not outgoing enough, Not successful enough." If that's any of you sitting here? Not all of us. Let me encourage you this morning. Let me encourage you this morning that there, as we fall apart and disintegrate among the tombs of our lives, there is one who arrives at the shore with sovereign authority and power in his hands. There is somebody who comes to the gutter that we find ourselves in and refuses to kick us or call us filth, but instead draws near. There is one who is not too disgusted by our uncleanness and who would step ashore to meet us. There is one who with Far more grace in his heart than sin in ours. There is one who would sail through the hardest storms, just to find us and rescue us. There is one who would calm not only calm the stormy seas, but would calm our storm-tossed soul. There is one who shows up with, with no sin that's too dark that he cannot dispel. There is one who shows up that is no match for the strongest bondage. And he comes to destroy the works of the evil one and set the captives free. He goes where nobody else wants to go. He delivers whom nobody else wants to deliver. Nothing happens until he arrives. But when he arrives, RCC, and steps onto the beachhead of our lives, there's nothing that can stop him from bringing his reign and rule over our lives. Amen. Listen, you are not too much for him. And he is always enough for you. Notice, this demoniac is not sitting around like, "Jesus, please help me." He is so far lost. He is so far gone. Jesus wants and desires our deliverance far more than we even want to be delivered. And notice he doesn't come in full PPE. All right, I'm not trying to make a political statement, please. Right. He doesn't come holding his nose. The demoniac sees Jesus in verse 6. And instead of falling on him, as he probably has done to others who show up, he ends up falling down before him. See, the Greeks did this before their deified rulers. Slaves did this to their masters. So now the demons do it with fear and trembling in the presence of Jesus Christ. Crying out with a loud voice. Verse 7, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Jesus. Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So when co- demoniac meets divine, it's a no-contest event here, verse 7. This is comedic, This is comedy right here, right? Comedically, the demons first start commanding Jesus, and then they try to exorcise him, I adjure you. Right? When someone tries to cast out a demon, the person always calls upon a higher power. But notice the authoritative word of the Lord. It's enough to banish and dispel a multitude of demons. The man who could not be bound by anyone is tamed with just a word. And notice Jesus says, come out of the filth. No. Come out of the demon, far far gone demoniac. Doesn't call him even that. We're calling him demoniac. Jesus says, come out of the man see what he calls him. People call him an animal. People call him a demon. People call him hopeless. Jesus humanizes him, rehumanizes him. That's what he does when he shows up. We call ourselves filth or whatever thing we have, addiction, whatever we have. Jesus rehumanizes him and redeems him. Now the demons here, They know they can't stay with the man. They start begging Jesus frantically to be sent to the herd of pigs, verses 11 to 13. Uh, In other words, they don't want to be ultimately vanquished. Uh, They get evicted, so to speak, but they want to move somewhere else. They know their time's up, and then Jesus agrees. There, There is no doubt that the boss in this story is clearly Jesus. And all of a sudden, the pigs go crazy. They run down the bank into the sea and drown. Now you're like, what is going on here? Why does Jesus allow this? Um, commentators go all over the place, and we can sit here. Let's see. Pr- you know, uh, Reason one, and th- we're not going to do that. All right, it's not, it's not clear. <laughs> it's not clear. Perhaps you know, the time for ultimate vanquishing of evil had not yet come. Right, The kingdom is here. The last Adam has arrived. Bring in the new age. Undo the first Adam's mess. But the kingdom's not here yet in full. So Jesus allows the demons to continue the destructive work, but not upon a man. I don't know. Where there's, there's lots of views on this. But maybe Jesus does this to encourage the man. Maybe Jesus is saying, these demons are never going to hurt you again. Look at what they have done to you, and if I, if I had not arrived, I have decisively delivered and restored you and given you visible proof. So the dark and disintegrating power of the evil one the power of the Sovereign King. And lastly, why does Jesus do all this? He draws us in to send us out. Sovereign King draws us in and sends us out. Verse 14, look what happens. Words spread, spreads like wildfire of the deliverance, destruction of the swine, and those who were watching the pigs. Jesus, Mark, shows us the difference, right? In verse 6, 15 and 16, which I love here, the man pre-Christ and the man post-Christ, verses 15 and 16, Jesus, they came to Jesus, saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Elaine says this, he says, the man whom neither chains nor men could restrain was sitting in a docile manner before Jesus, He who had terrified others as he ran naked among the tombs was now clothed. The one who was shrieking wildly and behaved violently now fully recovered. So radical was the transformation. The townspeople were stunned and frightened. This is a picture of discipleship and salvation. A restored individual sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, at this point you would be like, wow, revival. Revival. Rival service. Thousands turn to Christ. Headline. Nope. Verse 15, they, they freak out. So Jesus exposed the real demon here, which is their greed and love for the security of their wealth. That was worth more to them than Jesus. So in 17, he's, they're like, please leave. They seem more terrified over Jesus than they did with this man. Why? They're afraid of him, and I wonder if they're worried about Jesus hurting their business. They're saying, my pigs, my pigs, those pigs. Pigs were more important to them than the man's soul. And Jesus is saying, all the wealth in this world is not worth one human soul. So look, so the demons ask Jesus to send them to the pigs. He listens. The people ask Jesus to leave. He listens. The former demoniac man asked Jesus to go with him. Did you see that? Can I go with him? Uh, verse 18, he begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus says, no. What? Jesus, Jesus is un, unmanageable. And I hate that. <laughs> Jesus has something better for him. He says, I pulled you in to push you out to pull others in. I blessed you to be a blessing. I've delivered you to help deliver others. And so Jesus sends him. This is the first missionary preacher of Mark. Is this guy. And where does Jesus send him? To the very people that rejected him. Go home to your friends. What? And tell them. that This is all evangelism is. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. A Gentile to the Gentiles. His mission, just tell them what I did for you and how I had mercy on you. Help them see the reality of my touch in your life. That's all evangelism is. That's, all, that's why he meets us in the tombs. As he rescues us, as his grace astounds us, we can't help but just go tell people what he's done for us. He's had mercy on me and that's all I know. <laughs> yes, apologetics is great. Learning as much as you can is great. Understanding culture, yes. Exegete, everything, perfect, wonderful. But this is all it is. Hey, he had mercy on me. Amen. That's all. Now, you might be thinking, Robin, man, I would share my story if it was like this, guys. It's incredible. I mean, this demoniac is running around saying, do you know what Jesus did for me? He came all the way to, this, to my shores and he reached down and rescued me. I was lost. I was crying in agony. I was cutting myself. I was in the tombs and with a word, he delivered me. Everyone marveled. And you're like, yeah, if I had that story. If I had that story, yeah. But if you are in Christ this morning, your story blows this story out of the water. What? My story? Yes. In our story, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, in our story, by the end of Mark, that's where our story starts. The end of Mark, Jesus is actually treated like this demoniac. He comes further than the shores to love me. He disembarked from heaven. And he headed straight to the tombs where I belonged. And nobody came for him. He was forsaken. You know, he was crucified. Where was he crucified? Outside the city. Do you know what's outside the city? By the trash heap, treated as filth. He goes into the tomb and walks out, right out so you and I could be rescued out. He is excluded and rejected. Why? So you and I this morning are included and accepted into his family. This man is stripped naked. Jesus says, I was stripped naked so that you would be clothed in my righteousness without any shame. He was pinned down in chains so we would be set free and sitting at his feet. Now, if that's happened to you, if that's your story, that beats all the other stories in the world, loved ones. That does let me close with this, Richard Selzer, in his book, Mortal Lessons, uh, he was watching a woman who just had surgery on her face. The surgery on her face left her disfigured. And as she's sitting there, uh, her husband is right next to her. And then husband walks in right after the, actually the husband walks in right after the surgery and uh, he's, the, Richard Selzer is his doctor and he's watching this interaction, right? So her face is all disfigured, her husband is walking in and seeing her for the first time. And he says, I stand by the bed where this young woman lies. Her face post-operative. Her mouth is twisted in palsy. It looks somewhat clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be this way from now on. He had to remove the tumor in his, her cheek, so he cut the little nerve. Now the husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they dwell in the evening lamp He says, lamp light. He says, isolated from me. This moment is a private one. He and this wry mouth that I have made, they gaze at each other so generously, so lovingly. And the young woman speaks, and she says, will my mouth always be like this? And she looks at me, the doctor, she says, yes, it's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. And then the young man, the husband, smiles. At once, he says, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not so bold in an encounter with God. Unmindful, he says, the husband bends to kiss her crooked mouth. I am so close, and I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers and to show her that their kiss still works. RCC, uh, you and I are disfigured. We don't deserve love. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God became man, bent down from heaven, twisted himself, leaned towards humanity, and expressed his love for you and I, very broken people, So now he comes and meets us at our smaller tombs. You think he went to that big tomb, the ultimate tomb that could have destroyed us and now he says, oh no, now the tombs that you're in, sorry, that's too much for me. No. If he went through that for you, our sin is not too much, our darkness, our aloneness, our hatred. So we could collapse at his feet this morning and then as he overwhelms us with his grace, he will send us out. To sh- tell people about this love that came for us, you can do that—not th- not in spite of the fact that you're such a mess, and now you're healed. No, but because you're such a mess, and no matter how messed up you are, we plunge that messed upness into the grace of Jesus Christ, and that is the kind of person God uses. Let's pray, Lord Jesus no matter which tomb we're in this morning, no matter where we are, would you do what you do best, which is show up. And I thank you that there's no sin too dark. There's, n- there's no tomb too, too hard to get to that you will not show up and bring restoration, deliverance. Would you do that for us this morning as we go to the table now? Would you meet us as we see your broken body? We thank you that it was for broken sinners, that you broke your body so you could make us whole. Would you do that and bring us back to yourself as we give our hearts back to you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.